Welcome to the Gentleman Project Podcast. I'm Corey Moore. And I'm Kirk Chug. Today, Curtis Morley joins us in the podcast studio. Curtis and I met about six months ago when he came to a men's group that I belong to, and he presented an amazing presentation that really spoke to me, and it made sense. As he was saying it, I thought, yes, 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 yes. And so right after the meeting, I asked him if he'd be on the podcast. He got married. He's been on his honeymoon. And we've got him in the podcast studio now. We're happy to have him. He is the author of The Entrepreneur's Paradox and working on multiple other books that are on the, the bestsellers list and not like the Amazon bestsellers list. These are, these are the real bestsellers list. The Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal bestseller. Uh, he is an expert on the subject matter that he talks on. He hosts retreats and business conferences where he teaches the things that you're going to hear about today. We couldn't be more excited to have Curtis Morley with us here today. Welcome, Curtis. Thanks so much for having me on the show, guys. Tell us quickly, you just got married. Yes. A month ago. Yes. And like, you're glowing. (laughs) If you follow Curtis on social media, you'd see like all of his posts with his new bride and they look like, like a blissful couple. It is amazing. I couldn't (laughs) even be happier. So tell us about your family first. Um, so, um, yeah, like, like you said, just got married to Patty and she is the love of my life. She is incredible, kind, so good, just a pure, pure heart and, and beautiful. (laughs) She's just everything that I'd ever even imagined. Um, she has seven kids. I have five. So together we've got 12. Wow. Brady bunch. um, Here we are, man. How's that going a month in? There's, there's only four left at home. So, Oh, okay. So not quite, not quite the, the chaos of 12, but it's, (laughs) you got 12 kids. Still adventurous. That's cool. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, you were telling us, well, you're going to, you're going to be great for the podcast. You have so much experience with, with lots of kids, which is great. Um, you were telling us when we started the podcast a little bit about your background, you, you really started as an entrepreneur, it sounds like, and then moved into teaching what we're going to talk about today and writing these books and having master classes. Give us a little bit about your background and where, did, how did you come to where you are today? Yeah, thanks. I, I did not expect to be here. Um, I had, like, like you said, I've been a five times entrepreneur. I started multiple companies. Um, I wrote the entrepreneur's paradox as, um, I really wrote it for the 26 year old Curtis because I made all of the mistakes that I teach people how not to make. And some of them I made two or three times just to make sure I got it. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and it hit the wall street journal bestseller list and my publisher, they said, this is great. Let's do a three book series. And so I was in the middle of writing my second business book called The Timeline of Business. What I find is I, as I mentor and and coach entrepreneurs to turn into rapid growth companies is not only does everybody make the same mistakes, they actually make it at the same time that there's, there's a timeline that's laid out that um, if you tell me where you're at, what mistake you're making today, I can pretty accurately predict what's coming next. Um, because we all make these mistakes in order and we make these, these, I call them inflection points. There's these inflection points that can either skyrocket the business or sink the business and they happen in a particular sequence. And so I was in the middle of writing that. And, um, like we talked about, I just got married and, um, the reason I wasn't previously married is because about five years ago I got divorced and that, that rocked my world. 
and it was it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through and um, and I I'm incredibly grateful for it because it gave me a chance to say who is Curtis who do I want to be it gave me a chance to really evaluate me like dig into my soul and say you know, I, I have made so many mistakes throughout my life who do I really want to be and and I started learning these principles and I thought, you know, why are these principles not out there? The principle specifically of counterfeit emotions. Um, why isn't this out there? Why did I not learn this at home, at church, in school, in the community? You know, how, how is it that I've never learned this? And I research and research and research. And the reason why is because it's not out there. They're, the closest thing I found is a Buddhist teaching called Near Enemies and Far Enemies. And um, and the it, so okay if we just dive into yeah yes, please do awesome. go straight to counterfeit emotions this is the yes, I'm this on is the, edge the of my meat seat. of what I've been excited for <laughs> so the the premise of counterfeit emotions is that every authentic emotion or every emotion that serves us has a counterfeit except for one there's only one emotion that doesn't have a counterfeit and um, is that love close like a charity nope no it's peace. Peace. Okay. Peace okay. is the only emotion that has no counterfeit and every other emotion. Um, let's talk about love. Um, you know, we were taught throughout our lives, opposite emotions. We're taught love, don't hate. Right. But we're not taught about that emotion that slides right up next to the original emotion that puts on the clothing and masquerades as that emotion. So love and hate, right? Hate is so easy to see because it's the opposite of love. But what about love and lust. You can put your lips to someone else's lips in the spirit of giving, in the spirit of unity, in the spirit of togetherness, and you can do the exact same action in the spirit of taking or objectification, um, etc. And so it's really easy to see the opposites. The, the reason counterfeit emotions are so dangerous is because they look, act, and feel like the original authentic emotion but they create destructive patterns of disconnection in our lives. So talk to us about some of the, the ones that we face most, maybe especially in the family, you know, atmosphere. Like what's, what are some of the counterfeit emotions that you would want our listeners to know about? Yeah. The, I think one of the key ones and um, one that, that we're pretty chronically um, chronically unaware of um, when I say this one, it, it often just like shatters people's brains is the, the dyad or the pairing of kind versus nice. It turns out that nice is actually the counterfeit of kind. And I, I'm excited to dive into that. Some of the other ones are guilt versus shame. Guilt is actually a beautiful, healthy emotion. It's one of the most healthy emotions we can feel. And it's getting a bad rap in today's world. Guilt is getting such a bad rap. People are like, oh, don't let them guilt you. And what a guilt trip. And, and what they're really talking about is shame. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Guilt said, I made a mistake. Shame says, my whole existence is a mistake. And it's so damaging. If you look at the frequency, every emotion has a frequency. Um, when I learned about frequencies and emotion, I'm like, this is fascinating. The lowest emotion that you can feel, the very bottom is apathy. That's the very lowest emotion you can feel. Right, well, not right above that, but fairly close is shame. 
it's it's on the bottom of the spectrum in the negative zone. Uh, believe it or not, guilt is actually in the positive. And if you look at the word guilt, guilt actually comes from an old English word. The etymology of guilt comes from a 1400, the word comes from the 1400s, and it comes from the word gilden, which actually means to repay or make whole. So the feeling of guilt is to make someone whole. The feeling of guilt is to, is to say, I did something wrong. I'm going to make reparations. I'm going to make it right. That's what guilt is. It's so, so healthy. Shame is the opposite. Um, some others that I love, um, surrender versus resignation. Surrender says, do your best and give God the rest. Resignation says, that's eh, not worth it. I'm not even going to try but do you see how they feel mm-hmm. and act and look like each other? Yeah. They're so close and that's why they're so dangerous is that they are these sneaky, sneaky emotions that turn what you're feeling into this metastasized emotional cancer inside of your body. And um, instead of feeling that enlightenment, feeling that beauty that comes from that. How many pairings of these are? We got nice versus kind, guilt versus shame. Um, love versus lust. Like how many, how many are in this list that you have identified? Yeah. Is it every emotion? Um, I, I, well, as you know, when we, when we originally got together with, um, with the group that you're part of, um, we did the sticky note experiment where we identified emotions. I literally have thousands of emotions. I I store all of my emotions in a shelf in my office. (laughs) I have thousands of emotions on sticky notes. And I said, okay, for a book, what are going to be the most critical? And I've narrowed it down to 32. So there's 32 dyads or pairings of emotions. Um, yeah, like we talked about. Um, another really important one is pain versus misery. And, um, and understanding the true nature of pain. I didn't know this my whole life. It took me till I was over 40 before I started understanding the nature of pain. And if I can share just a little bit more yeah. of my backstory. Please do. I was in the middle of writing the second book, this business book, and uh, it still hurts. Um, my really good friend all the way back from college, I think it's important to say his name, Jerry Williamson, he ended up taking his life. And he had gone through, sorry, he had gone through a divorce like I had, and he didn't understand the difference between pain and misery and guilt and shame. He didn't understand that. And I believe that if he did, he would still be here today. I believe if he understood those two, not, not even any of the others, just those two, I think he would still be here. And I'm not okay with how he left us. And that's when I called my publisher and I said, you know what? I need to write a different book need to write a very different book it has nothing to do with business it just has to do with what's going on inside and today in today's world it's it's insane because we are right now today we're at the highest recorded level of suicides ever in u.s history greater than the great depression greater than any other time and i said i've got to do something there has to be a way and and I believe that with understanding these counterfeit emotions that, well, not I believe, I know for a fact, as of not last Saturday, the previous Saturday, we did a conference 
we do this conference called Safe to Feel. And there were three people. There were three people that came to that conference that came up afterwards and said, today I was thinking of taking my life. Thank you. I'm still here. And one was on a bridge the night before, looking over the freeway, contemplating jumping. And um, my partner, Christy Holt, she runs a company called Vibonics, which is the coolest thing ever. Um, It's an app that you can measure your emotions. Um, You speak into it and it tells you what you're feeling because we as a society, we as a culture have, um, you know, for years we were told shut our doors, shut our offices, shut our businesses, shut our churches, sh- even cover, cover your smile, right? For years we were told that. And what happened when we did that is we started to shut all of those things and shut our hearts. We stopped feeling. We started shutting down. And I believe that's one of the major reasons that we're where we're at today. And so, so yeah, that's, that's part of my mission is to, is to help people get into their authentic selves, help people understand this is authentic. This is the real me and push aside the counterfeits um, that are so dangerous in their lives. So you said that nice versus kind is going to be the number one thing that is going to change the relationships we have inside the four walls of our homes of, of the counterfeit, emotions. of the counterfeit emotions. Yeah. And so let's talk, can we talk a little bit more about that? Like yeah, how do we yeah. identify that? What are the characteristics of nice and kind and put some scenarios out there of why, why it's important and what we can do to make sure that we're experiencing the genuine emotion and not the counterfeit. Yeah. I'd love that. And um, it's, it's so funny because all our lives were taught to be nice. Nice. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it's important um, even before we get into nice versus kind is to identify the four criteria to know if you're feeling an authentic emotion or if you're feeling a counterfeit emotion. And there's, there's four criteria. They all end in shun. So they're easy to remember. Um, the first is connection. Does this emotion connect me? Does it connect me with myself, my true self, not my ego self, not my titles and my cars and house and fancy stuff and status, but does it connect me with my divine self, my true self? Does it connect me with God? Does it connect me with others? Does it connect me with the truth? So the first criteria is connection and connection in those four ways. The second criteria is direction. Where does this emotion take me? Where does it take me? And if you look at all the authentic emotions, it plays out true in every case that there's three directions an authentic emotion will take you. It'll take you forward, it'll take you upward, or it'll bring you together. Those are the the direction of a counter, or excuse me, an authentic emotion, not counterfeit. Um, But this is fascinating. When, When I realized this about counterfeits, if you look at the direction of a counterfeit emotion, I did not expect this when I did the research. Counterfeit emotions, they only come back to themselves. The only direction a counterfeit emotion brings you is back to yourself. Anxiety breeds anxiety. You know, suspicion breeds suspicion. 
misery, misery. I mean, you think misery loves company, right? Misery <laughs> loves company. That's exactly it. It has to have more company or else it dies. Misery will die on its own without more misery. So it has to feed itself. It has to fuel itself. And the only direction that it, that it moves in is a circle and it comes back to itself over and over again. Pain, you know, no pain, no gain, right? Because pain takes you somewhere. Misery loves company because it just has to have more of it, of that destructive self or else it just dies. It's fascinating to think about that. Like, and that we've never heard it before. Well, you're given, you're giving a language to your emotions so that you can talk about them appropriately is really what you're doing without actually acting on and taking the words and saying, what am I feeling? And then changing your feeling or understanding what you're doing so you can move forward right? So you can be appropriate. The words mean nothing. Who cares what misery versus pain? Unless you take those words, you understand the difference and then you act on those differences, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and act- I think of the five love languages and it just gives you a language to talk to your spouse about. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. yeah. It just gives you a language that love this that is much language. deeper than that. <laughs> yeah. This is like taking that to then next level and really trying to figure out how do I become the best person I can be. It gives you a vocabulary to do that. And it kind of allows you to look inward and say, what am I doing? What am I feeling? And am I, am I being counterfeit right now? Yeah. And if I'm being counterfeit, let's change that into a different appropriate positive for lack of a better word. You can talk about this way better than I can <laughs> positive emotion that allows me to move forward up, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So we have connection, direction, connection, direction, and you hit on it perfectly is the third is motivation. Okay. Um, is what is my motivation behind this emotion? And all of the authentic emotions are based in love and surrender. And those are two meta emotions, meaning that they flow through the other authentic emotions. You look at the counterfeit, the motivation behind a counterfeit emotion is fear and control, fear and control every single time it plays true in every one of the counterfeit emotions why why am i in misery versus pain you know it's because i'm scared and i want to control this situation because i don't know what to do rather than just accepting the pain and even honoring the pain and yeah what you just talked about is huge for leadership quite frankly all the i always tell our guys like the worst leaders are leading out of fear, right? Fear of, or, or they don't have self-confidence. They have to control everything. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had a general George Casey gave a speech to us at Cornell one time. And he was talking about, I said, he gave us this huge list of what are the best leaders have. And I said, well, what are the worst? He said, all oh, the worst leaders don't have self-confidence. The worst mm-hmm. leaders you're going to make mistakes, but you got to have like a inner sense of confidence, not fear. Anyway, yeah. fascinating stuff. Keep going. I'm interrupting you. But. <laughs> yeah. no. Motivation. 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 <laughs> so number one, connection two direction. Three is motivation. And fourth is valuation is what is this emotion value me at? And what does it value you at? And if you look at the authentic emotions, the value is divine worth. It is, it's not just, Hey, I have a job that pays this much, or I have a house that's been this big. It has nothing to do with that. It's 
worth that extends beyond this world. It's divine worth. And the counterfeits, the counterfeits, they, it's worthless. You are worthless and you're worth less, meaning the comparison. Oh, I'm not, I'm not as handsome as Corey, or I'm not as, I don't drive the coolest car or, you know, it's this constant comparison and comparison is the thief of joy. Absolutely. Comparison is the thief of joy. And that's what the counterfeit emotions do. Going back to guilt versus shame. Um, if we talk about guilt, that valuation, you know, if I come and do something that hurts you and I say, you know what? My value is divine, but you know what? Kirk's value is also divine. And so I have to value you. The base emotion of guilt is actually empathy. If I do something wrong to you, I have empathy enough for you that I say, I don't want you to feel that way. That's why it's a high frequency emotion is because it's based in empathy. It, you cannot have guilt without empathy. And so getting into that, it says, I value me enough to not do that. And I value you enough to apologize. And like, if we just go through the four criteria, connection. If I'm feeling guilt, I have to connect to you to apologize. I can't apologize without connecting, right? I can't do that. I, I connect to myself, I connect to God, and then I connect to you. And I say, I am so sorry for what I've done. And it also connects you to the truth because shame says, well, it's his fault anyway. You know, I kicked him in the shins, but he was, he was wearing a suit without a tie. How dare he do that? You know, whatever <laughs> silly thing it is. Um, but that, that truth is also connected in guilt. The truth is I kicked you in the shins. You know what? I, I did that. I take responsibility for that. And we move through that. And Brene Brown, um, as well as a, a study out of Switzerland, a university in Switzerland, both have done the research on this. Shame has a direct correlation to addiction, to bullying, to um, sexual promiscuity, to, I mean, you name the vices, shame has a direct connection. And that's not groundbreaking. That research has been done for years and years. The shame is that way. But these two groups did the other side. They did guilt. And what they found was guilt had a direct connection to get out of addiction get out of bullying, get out of that. It was fascinating to, to read this because you would think, wait a minute, shame gets me in, guilt gets me out? That's amazing because all of a sudden now I'm connecting. Now I'm moving forward. I'm no longer, um, I'm no longer stymied by that thing that's weighing down on me because you don't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. It lives inside of you until you make reparations. You know, and, and then with the, the motivation, my motivation is because I love you. I'm sorry because I love you. I, I love me and I love you. And then the valuation says we're both of divine worth. Shame says the opposite. Shame says, well, anybody that doesn't wear a tie with their suits, they're, you know, they're jerks and I hate them and BMW drivers and you know, whatever it is. You know. The crotchety old man. Yeah, yeah. That says you're not of worth. All the authentic emotions say, yes, you are of absolute worth. Well, I like what you said about addiction, because if you think about it, you have to be in the shame cycle. If, if you're in the guilt cycle, you do everything you just said. 
in the guilt cycle, you can get out because you're going to, you can't, you're not, you're not going to connect if you're in the same shame cycle. Yeah. And most people don't when they're in, when they're doing that kind of stuff. Right. And you're not going to feel empathy. And so, yeah, I would say most people who in, who are in some kind of addiction, whatever it is, could be anything. You can't get out of the shame cycle, like you said, and get into the connection, move forward. And you can, you explain it way better than I do, but I can, it's just, it makes it so obvious and so easy to talk to, right? In my mind, everyone has to listen to your stuff and read your book when it comes out <laughs> because it'll give them a language to talk about this super important stuff. It'll make you a better person, a better husband, a better parent, a better leader. So this is awesome. I want to go back to, to, um, because you gave us the four criteria, right? Mm-hmm. Before you talked about nice and kind, I want to go back to nice and kind. Cause yes. we didn't talk yes. about nice and kind yet. And I, that one, you know, guilt and shame are like on what you would perceive as like the negative side of things, mm. but what's wrong with being nice. Right. Right. Isn't that, <laughs> I mean, Bambi's best friend ever since we were little kids told us, you know, if you can't say nothing nice, then don't say nothing at all. Right. Yeah. And what, you know, all my life I bought into that all my life. I was like, okay, if I can't say anything nice, well then I'm going to shut up. I'm going to repress my emotions. I'm not going to advocate for myself. I mean, you think how damaging that statement is. If you, if you can't say anything nice, well then shut up. Like, no, that is not, that is not healthy, but yet we think it is, you know, we're taught that from Disney movies. We're taught that as we grow up, always being nice. And, um, and it's so interesting because nice is if you can imagine a pendulum swinging, right. And the ball at the end of the pendulum comes all the way up to the apex on, on the left side. That's nice. And if, we, we try and hold that up there for so long. We just, we keep that and we use all our effort to be nice. We put on the smile. We don't express our true feelings. We're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with others. It's fake. In my case, I, I'm, I'm just going to introduce myself. I'm Curtis. I'm a recovering nice guy. Um, I, I, in my case, it was manipulative. My niceness was manipulative. I was creating covert contracts with people. I'm going to do something nice for you. And guess what? You better do something nice back. I'm going to try and control your emotions with my niceness. I'm going to be so dang nice to you that you can't be mean back because I don't want that confrontation. Nice always leans out, but it does it with a smile. You know, you get this great big (laughs) smile. Hey, way over there. Hey, you over there. I'm smiling. We're happy. Okay. We're not going to make a connection. See ya. You know, you think of the used car salesman. How nice are they? Small talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's all surface. It's small talk. It's, you know, if you would ask anybody 10 years ago, who is Curtis? They'd be like, oh, he is the nicest guy you will ever meet. I don't want to be nice anymore. I am choosing not to be nice. I'm choosing to be kind because with that ball that is hung up in that pendulum and we're keeping all that effort, well, as soon as we don't have any more effort to keep that nice up there, what happens? It swings all the way to the other side. The opposite of nice is mean. And now that pendulum swung and, you know, you hear about people breaking or cracking or, you know, uh, this super nice guy and all of a sudden now he yelled and, 
oh, wait a minute. I thought he was a nice guy. And we think in this, in these, this very black and white thinking that you either are nice or you're mean. But the truth is, is there's a way to prevent the swings of that pendulum. And if we find that we stop swinging that pendulum from nice to mean, when we're fine center, that's where kind is. Kind is centered. Because the opposite of uncentered is still uncentered. The opposite of nice is mean. You're still uncentered. You're still having to keep all that effort. But when you find center and you find kind, you don't have to have that effort to keep that ball hanging up in the air on either side. You're just you. Yeah, it's authentic. It's real. It's it's who you really are. And you don't have to try and and put on this persona of the nice guy. Translate this to parenthood and uh, time with your spouse. Yeah. So one thing that nice guys, nice girls are chronic with is not leaning in, not having hard conversations. Nice says, I don't want to rock the boat. I'm going to appease you. I'm going to be the doormat. I'm not going to share my feelings. I'm not going to advocate for me. And I'm especially not going to um, going to share feedback with you that might upset you because I'm nice translated to I don't have the courage right now to do this kind says I'm going to have a hard conversation with you in love it's going to be an absolutely in love but it's going to be a hard conversation and um, and in my we talked a little bit about about the master classes, I do a 21 day transformative master class where at the end of the master class we have what's called the big kind conversation. And, <laughs> and um, previously, before I learned the model, there's a five step model of how to go from the counterfeit into the authentic of nice versus kind. And in each of the dyads, each of the pairings have their own model. So a different model for each one. Um, in nice versus kind, the, the first step is to know your boundaries. Um, and there's on, on the website, there's a nice type assessment. You can actually figure out what type of nice you How are. How nice are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what kind of nice are you? Are you the people pleaser? Are you boundaryless? Are you the doormat? You can find out what flavor of nice you are. And, um, and w- the first criteria in the model of how to get out of being nice and into kind is know your boundaries. And it's fascinating. I've done this exercise multiple times. I'll go into a room and I'll ask, you know, dozens, hundreds of people who can tell me one of their boundaries. And um, I did an event with about 30 people the other day. One person raised their hand. One person raised their hand. I'm like, great. What's one of your boundaries? He's like, well, only one really. I'm like, okay, what's that? I won't do drugs. I'm like, Awesome. You got that in junior high, right? The, the egg on the frying pan, don't do drugs. <laughs> right on. Yeah. What are some of your other boundaries? It's so rare to find someone that actually understands their boundaries. It's so rare. And we're not taught this. When we're growing up, we're not taught what is a boundary. A boundary is something that says, this is where I stop and you start. This is, you know, you think of the boundaries of the United States. We have our borders. We have our boundaries. And understanding my identity, my individuation, understanding who I am 
and knowing the boundaries of what I will and will not do are so important. Um, to give an example of what a, a healthy boundary is, one of my boundaries now, again, I'm a recovering nice guy, did not have this boundary in the past. Um, one of my boundaries now is that I won't engage in destructive conversation. I won't. I, I refuse to do it. And, um, and so understanding that that's a boundary of mine is so healthy for me, but it's also healthy for others because truly we train people how to treat us. And if we're constantly nice, remember the direction, how it spins back to ourselves, we have to keep being nice to, to have that persona. If we don't, if we don't keep that placating behavior, we don't get to, we don't get to be perceived as nice. And so, um, so really understanding boundaries is so critical. And one thing that's important to know about boundaries is you cannot set a boundary for someone else. This is absolute human nature. Like if you do this, then I'm doing this. That's trying to say like, Hey, Canada, we really want Calgary. We're just going to swoop up here. And now it's part of the United States. You know, that would cause a war, right? You, you can't do that. You can only set a boundary for you. And so going back to the, the boundary of destructive conversations, I won't have a conversation that's destructive. So if it starts to get to that, if there's name calling or raised voices or, you know, or manipulation or anything like that, I'll call it out and I'll say, Hey, you know, I can tell that this conversation is not going to help our relationship. And so, um, as until it can, I'm going to need to excuse myself. Notice I didn't say you need to shut up. You need to be quiet. You know, it's, I'm making a choice for me. My choice is not to engage and, um, and so that's the first one is, is boundaries. The second one is listen and validate. And this one, oh, it is so hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of the pieces that turns every conversation into a beautiful connecting conversation is you can listen and validate anyone, even the emotional vampire even to the chronic complainer, even to the bully, even to any of those personality types, you can listen and validate. And it's really important to know what you're validating. You don't validate the complaint. When somebody comes in and says, oh, can you believe um, Joe did this? Oh, come join me and let's, you know, get on the bandwagon and let's beat up Joe. You can still validate the human behind that. You don't have to say, I'm going to, yeah, let's go beat up Joe together. Let's, you know, I'm going to, no, you don't validate that. You validate the person. You can say things like, oh, I can see how that affected you. I can see why that's so hard. It doesn't say Joe was right and I'm wrong and, you know, it doesn't do any of that. It just says, I see you. I see you in your pain. So I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to validate you. I'm going to hear you. And so listening and validating, Stephen Covey says, <laughs> he has a quote that says, most people listen in order to respond rather than to understand. And it's so true. It's so true. That was me, 100%. Is you, you know, you talk and I'm ready with my response as soon as you're done. And you might have only said a few words and I already have my response rather than just trying to understand. And so nice Nice doesn't sound like kind at all. 
Kind sounds like, hey, tell me more. Even when somebody says something hard or something against you, can you imagine like somebody's coming to say, oh, you're a jerk. And you say, hey, tell me more. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. And tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to understand you. I want to understand why you're having this emotion because inside there's that divine worth. And I know that mm. you are divine. I'm divine. So let's get to that. Let's get to that piece of it. So the second step is the second step is listen and validate. The third step is invite. And this one, you thought step two was hard. <laughs> the invite stage. And, and I say hard and jokingly because up front it is, up front it's so outside the nature of the nice guy or the nice girl to do these steps. But when you get into it, it actually turns every conversation into a beautiful connecting experience. Like I used to, you know, I've been an entrepreneur. I would have these hard conversations and I'm going to put some titles on it, hard, nasty conversations, you know, and I would just have this pit in my stomach. Like, uh, you wouldn't know that from the outside. You think, oh, he's got his composure and he's all put together, all that. Inside, I'm just tied up in knots and I'm just thinking, oh, this is another one of those conversations. Now I'm excited about these conversations because I know every single one is going to be a, a connecting conversations. It's going to be a big, kind conversation instead of a big, nasty kind conversation. And I'm truly excited because I know at the very least, the very bottom, that they are going to know that I heard them, that I saw them, that I understood who they were. And I'm going to dig. I'm going to say, tell me more. I'm going to say, oh, I want to hear more about that. I want to understand you. Dig deeper. You know, I'm going to say things like that, that they're going to be like, oh, you actually want to hear me. How cool is that? Pretty hard to fight with somebody like that. Yeah. And I, I use this analogy. This is, this is super fun of the boxing ring. You know, you, you walk into the building, right? And there's a boxing ring there. And the person has the gloves on. They've got their belt, their shorts. They're ready to go. And they just taunt you. They're like, get in the ring with me. Get in the ring. Put your gloves on. And it's so easy to slide between the ropes and go toe to toe and here's my argument, boom, here's your argument, boom, and punch, 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 and there's a better way. And that way is to invite them out of the ring. Where they're trying to get you into the ring, you invite them out of the ring. And um, even though I'm horrible at yoga, I imagine like, here's the boxing ring, and over here is the yoga studio, <laughs> right? This place of peace, of growth, of abundance, of health, and instead of saying, yeah, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to toe for toe, punch for punch, argue with you, I'm going to invite you into a place of safety and peace and health. And I'm going to stay here. And step four is surrender. So I'm going to invite you out of the ring. And at step four says surrender. I don't get to make your choices for you. I don't get to own your emotions. I don't get to do any of that. I get to invite you. And if you accept that, wonderful we're both going to be now in that space. We're both going to be in that space of health and safety and peace. And, and it's the coolest thing because you can do this with anyone, any personality type, even that dominant bully personality. Um, you can do any of this. The final step is repeat or release. So 
again, the steps are number one, know your boundaries. Number two is listen and validate. Number three is invite. So invite them into a space. Give us, give us the how on the invite. Yeah. Thank you. We didn't, we didn't go into that. <laughs> Thanks. So the how is, um, there's, there's three steps in the invite. One is I'm going to invite you into the conversation. So saying things like, would it be okay if we talked about this or would it be okay if we connected around this? So notice I'm, I'm asking permission from that person. And if they say yes, then start having that conversation, listening and validating every step of the way. And once they know that you hear them, that you see them, that you love them, that's when you invite. Not before and not after you've gone into the boxing ring. Definitely don't do it then. <laughs> there, you're going to have no luck. If you are in the boxing ring and you make an invitation, they're going to be like, punch the nose, punch the nose, you know, uppercut. And, and so, um, but once they know, once they know you've, they're seen, they're heard, then you can go into that and you can say, okay, now that you've accepted the invitation into the conversation, now I'm going to invite you into a healthy behavior. And, and a really good analogy, um, I was sharing this with a friend, this principle. I also do running clinics. I love to run. Um, it's a passion of mine. And I do these clinics to teach people how to, how to run properly. You think, well, you just put one foot in front of the other, right? <laughs> and, um, but there's, a, there's dynamics that make it so much easier to run faster with less effort. It's, it's incredible. So we're, um, I live down in Utah County, and, and we're on the Murdoch Canal Trail. This beautiful running trail. And um, we just did this running clinic. My friend is, stand, is running by me, and I'm evaluating her form and all the different pieces. And coming the other way was this heavyset guy with the worst running form I've ever seen in my life. Like horrible, horrible running form. And you know, the cartoon movies where the giant is lumbering back and forth from side to side. (laughs) And he's just like, I thought for sure, the closer we approached that his kneecaps were going to explode and we're going to be pelted with patella shrapnel. (laughs) And, um, and he, as he's running up to us and we're running up to him, my friend looks over and she goes, so going to be nice. We're going to be kind. (laughs) 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 And and I'm like, "Mm, yep. Uh, Okay, here we go. (laughs) And you think about what would nice do, right? Nice would see this guy that's literally damaging his body. The, you see this amazingly damaging behavior and maybe habit that he's involved in. What would nice do? Just say hi. A wave and keep going. Yeah. Big smile wave. Hey, have a great day. Great run. See ya. And zip on by. That's nice. That's like the epitome of nice. I see that you're hurting yourself right now. I don't have the courage or I don't care enough about you to actually stop and have that hard conversation with you. And kind, kind says, you know what? I'm going to invite you into this space of safety and peace and growth. And then I'm going to give you, I'm going to surrender. Step four is surrender. I'm going to surrender whatever you choose to do with that. And so, so I did, he was wearing this um, shirt that said Timpanogos half marathon. And in my mind, I'm thinking you ran 13 miles (laughs) in like this, like how is that even possible? And so I, I had run that same half marathon and I'm like, 
Hey, did you run that? And, and he stops and he bends over, you know, hands on his knees. He's like, and just breathing heavy. And I could see the visible relief on his face. He's like, thank heavens. (laughs) Somebody (laughs) talked to me. Yeah. He's like, I'm so glad. And I started building, I started listening to him and validating him as a human. You know, not validating his running behavior, but validating him as a human and his effort and the goodness inside of him. And it was so funny because as I'm right about to make the invitation to a healthier way, my friend goes, hey, listen, he does running clinics. You want one? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the invitation for you. Yeah. And I was like two seconds away. <laughs> He's a super nice guy. <laughs> and, and so uh, his, this guy's name was Andrew. He was going to go to medical school the next day in Chicago. He was going to get on a flight. And he looks up from his, you know, bent knee position and he looks up and he's like, he goes, you would do that for me? And I said, yeah, we could just do a little mini clinic right here on the trail. Take 10, 15 minutes. You know, it's usually 45, but let's just do a little quick one right here. And we did. And he accepted that invitation. I said, would you like that? And he said, yeah. And he goes, nobody has ever taught me how to run. Nobody has ever told me how destructive the way I've been running is. Kind steps into that space, makes the invitation, and invites that person in. Nice, smile and wave. And hey, remember that one guy that one time that, yeah, that's nice. But then also surrenders too, because... I think a lot of people struggle with, well, I did everything I could and they have to help themselves at some point. And you think that, well, maybe I did it wrong because they're not accepting my invitation. Yeah. Right. But the surrender part is the repeat or surrender part is the surrender leaves the responsibility for their own actions in their court. And then you are okay with whatever decision they make because you did your part, right? Exactly. That's exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up because once I made the invitation, Hey, would you like to do a little mini run clink? It was no longer mine. I gave him the gift of an invitation. You think you don't take gifts back. You don't say here, here's this gift. And now I'm taking it back. You know, it's here's your invitation. It's yours. You get to do with it, whatever you want. You can punch me in the nose and say, you call me fat and keep running. Or you can say, yeah, I would like to step into that space with you. And the key is, is that you do surrender that and then you repeat and re- or repeat or release. So the repeat part is if somebody isn't in the space, if they're not ready for that invitation, even after you've validated them and said, this is, you know, I see you. If they're still not in that space, then you repeat it. You come back to it. You repeat it. And if after a certain number of times, you see that that person is not going to accept that invitation, then you need to release. And it's so fascinating because, you know, I do these master classes and we've done it several times. And what behavior that other people do when a person transitions from nice to kind, it's, it's, absolutely predictable. The people that were taking advantage of you as a nice guy or a nice girl, they hate it. When you start setting boundaries, when you start inviting them out of the ring, they absolutely hate it. 
And what happens every single time, this is just predictable, every single time is that that person will either come on the journey with you or they'll leave your life. And they want to stay in those unhealthy behaviors. And so they're either going to say, okay, I see that you're making this change. You know what? I'm going to come with you on that journey. And a lot of times people say, I'm not going to. And it's fascinating because the feedback I get after my master classes is that I didn't realize how toxic my group of friends were and how toxic I was in that group of friends that I was playing the victim. Another name for the nice guy is the victim. And you think, wait a minute. No, they're the happy. Oh no, no, no. Under the covers, the nice guy is the victim every time. Oh, I'm being taken advantage of. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff and nobody's repaying me for all my niceness. You know, the victim is huge in that. See, technically girls, don't like the nice guy. They like the <laughs> kind guy. Yeah. There's a difference. Huge. And the nice guys really do finish last. They do finish last. You have to be a kind guy and then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. That, I love so that. So true. Actually. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. It's so true because uh, I mean, perfect. A example. nice guy be, could become the victim in a, any relationship quick. Yeah. And they do. And they're like, well, how are all these women getting the, you know, they're hooking up with these jerks and they're, you know, they're connecting with these you know, and they go into that victim statement of, you know, I'm so nice. Why aren't they? Oh, no, no. Stop yeah. being nice. We're Start. not, we're not talking about being mean. Girls no. shouldn't go out with the mean guy, but they should find the kind guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Exactly. And this topic is like, I, I think I could sit here for hours and talk to you about this. <laughs> uh, if people want more of this topic and they want to explore the different counterfeit emotions, the the 32 core ones that you have identified Mm -hmm. because like walk us through like real, real short. I'll tell what I remember of the exercise that we went through. Like we wrote down every good emotion that we could think of on a sticky note. Yeah. Right. Every positive emotion. Mm -hmm. And then we wrote down every negative emotion and then we stuck them on the wall. And there was like, what, maybe 10 or 12 of us there? Yeah, yeah. And the whole wall was covered in stuff. Well, there were only so many emotions that we could come up with. And now you've got thousands and thousands of these sticky notes. And you keep them and catalog them as like, oh, that might be a new emotion. And then you study that emotion. Yeah, yeah. So if they want more of these like 32 core emotions, because we've only touched on Guilt, shame, nice, kind. Um, that was really the two that we covered today in almost an hour. Oh, wow. Time flies. <laughs> Look at that. Holy cow. Uh, I know. It doesn't feel, it feels like it's been about 15, 20 minutes. Um, how do they, how do they check in? Like, have you got a website? Where did they buy the book? You're working on the counterfeit emotion book right now. It's yeah. still yeah. being written, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so how can they check in with Curtis Morley? Uh, how can they get more of this content? Maybe we need to just have you back on the podcast like multiple times and we can just be like, we're going to tackle two more emotions today. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. How do they do that? Yeah. The, the best way is to go to counterfeitemotions.com and um, you can sign up for the master classes as well. We're doing a conference called safe to feel and it's specifically targeted at youth and young adults and their parents. And that's going to be um, January 20th 
at Utah Valley University. So um, it's free. It's completely free for um, teens and young adults. It's $20 for parents. Um, we've got some amazing speakers lined up. It's going to be incredible. So yeah, for sure, Safe to Feel Conference. Um, the Facebook group is where we're most active. So if you go to um, Facebook and look up Counterfeit Emotions, you'll see the Counterfeit Emotions logo. It's a blue and black logo. And um, and yeah, that's that's where you can really get involved. But yeah, to make these transformative changes, because we're creatures of habit um, and we've developed habits over years and years, our entire lifetime. Um, the, the best thing that anyone could do is to join one of the master classes. Our next master class is going to be belonging versus fitting in. And that'll be November 29th. And so, yeah. Yeah. That'd be good for every team in the world. I wish we had more time. I want to talk, I want to tackle that one today because I think so many of our teens deal with that. Like the, the epidemic of loneliness. Yes. Uh, that a lot of our, well, I think a lot of adults feel, but so many of our kids feel like they just want to fit in. Right. And we say that, and that just rolls right off our tongue. Well, I just want to fit in. Mm -hmm. Right. But what's the difference between fitting in and belonging? In, in just a couple sentences, um, belonging requires you to be your authentic self. Fitting in requires you to be just like everyone else. There you go. Oh, he's so precise. I told you he was articulate. At, yeah, very good. At making uh, his point. And, Anyone I mean, who studies this is going to be better at living their life, whatever yeah. they're doing. So I'm excited. I'm excited to go check out the master classes. I'm super excited for the book. Thanks. Do you have an ETA on the book? Um, I, I actually was going to publish it um, earlier. It was, it was planned to be published um, earlier, and I decided to take more of a Stephen Covey or an Adam Grant approach um, with their, their books and like Atomic Habits. Um, and I'm going to actually be testing each one of these dyads in outside of my research. So research is one thing, my own experience is another thing, but then testing it as we do these masterclasses to see how it plays out in the real world and, um, and fine tuning. So um, right now, the, the book is just in that phase of, of cool. testing and we'll probably launch it in May, either next year or the following year, um, just because that's Suicide Awareness Month. And, um, and so we want to make sure that we, yeah, we help as many people as we can. That's, do you do anything for companies? Like, do you come in and speak to companies, you know, outside of the master classes? Yeah, yeah, I do. Actually, it's funny you, you asked that. I was having a conversation with the CEO of a billion-dollar company the other day, and um, and he he we were talking about nice versus kind. He's like, Curtis, where were you last week? I just had all of my executives in the boardroom saying, "Stop being nice, you guys. We have to stop being nice. Nice is indirect." Nice beats around the bush. Nice is destructive to a company. Kind has beautiful, hard conversations that are done in love and done with power and courage because that's where the company needs to go. And so the answer to that is yes. Often I, I get with different companies and, and do mentoring and coaching that way. Awesome. At the end of the podcast... We ask everyone the same question, which is, what does it mean to you to be a gentleman? So maybe you could give us your off-the-cuff answer to that. Mm. To be a gentleman would definitely be to be kind. 
is kind of what I was hoping you were going to say. <laughs> the shortest, like the, perfect the, shortest the perfect answer, because we pretty much talked about it the whole podcast yes. and I'm like, yeah, we've touched on that, but we didn't ask the question. So thanks for this is probably one of my favorite answers because we did talk about it the whole podcast, yeah. but it is a really good example of what a gentleman is as the, the gentleman conversations just, just isn't kind. Right. In fact, this is one of my favorite, favorite ways to think about a gentleman would be the way that Curtis explains being kind because you actually care about people. You're being a gentleman. Yeah. You're being you're, bold in love. You're, you're kind to people. You're not a jerk in any way, shape or form, but you're not going to fake it either. Yeah. And to me that, that really sits well with me as it relates to being a gentleman. So thank you, Curtis. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. What a cool subject matter. Something that we have not talked about on the podcast. Um, Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're entering our fourth year of the podcast. Wow. Does that blow anybody else's mind but wow. mine? It's awesome. Um, very cool of you to stick with us. Uh, I know a lot of you listen to every episode that there is and look forward to our releases. Uh, we appreciate you sticking with us. We would love it if you could go over to iTunes and drop us a rating and a review. That helps the algorithm where people find a good quality podcast that they can kind of check into and listen to on a regular basis. That's what you could do for us. Uh, we would love it if you would do so and share this with somebody. If a name popped into your head while you were listening to the podcast today and you thought they could really use this subject matter, make sure that you act on that prompting, send them a link to the website or the podcast and make sure that they get to hear this too because there's a reason why you thought of that person curtis thank you for joining us today thank you so much guys thanks everybody have a great day go out there and be kind yeah